Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you all. Um, George Agawa gave a little bit of detail, but um, let me just make it a little bit easier for you because this is, I think, our 14th year of dealing with the triathlon for next Sunday. When you come, if you're coming from Mission Viejo or Lake Forest or Irvine or any place where you're coming from the freeway, you have to go down El Toro Road to Mustang or uh, Santa Margarita and turn right there and then come from that direction. You can't go down Marguerite, Los Lisos, you'll get turned around. And then you'll get frustrated and angry and show up and sin whenever you show up <laughs> later on. So I don't want you to have to look at your, the website, then you should probably anyhow, but if you go all the way down El Toro Road and get here, um, that's the way to go. And if you feel like that's too hard and it's not worth it, then you ought to just repent right now <laughs> and be here next Sunday. So that's how that works. That's how you go. Um, you should have some handouts that are there in your bulletins. If you didn't get one, you, you can, can grab one. Um, someone, raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Make it easier for you to follow along this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, on this weekend, we, we celebrate Memorial Day. And um, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We're, think of the last over 240, I think three years, almost 244 years, of our country being in existence and how many soldiers have laid down their lives for us so that we could be here on a day like today with freedom, worshiping Christ, um, being blessed with all that we're blessed with, being a country over these years that has shined brightly and sent out missionaries and We have a lot to be thankful for, for those that have laid down their lives for us. And so um, I know some of you have family members and friends who have done just that. And, uh, and so we're thankful. So let's pray this morning as we begin. And, uh, and we'll spend some time in God's holy word. Lord God, we're thankful. You tell us that you determine our boundaries and our dwelling places so that we might grope for you and find you, though you're not far from us. And for those that um, have laid down their lives for us, Lord, so that we could be in this country and have freedom and worship you and grope for you and find you, Lord, we are we're very thankful. We're thankful for our church. Thankful for the way in which you have placed us here to minister one to another and to be fed and to worship together. I pray that you would bless our time in your word. Cause us to learn from you in such a way that it affects us not only today, but for the duration of our lives, Lord, as we desire to please you and to glorify you. Bless the children in children's ministry and the teachers who teach them. I pray that each one of us would find ourselves on this day leaving this church having a much greater view of you than when we came through the doors, treasuring you more deeply. And if there's any that are here this morning that are yet to know you, May today be the day of salvation for them. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just work in hearts to show us that we are in desperate need of a Savior. We're in desperate need of forgiveness. And there's only one fountain of living waters that can make it so that we can never thirst again. And that's you, Christ. So minister to us on this day, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months back, I shared a little bit about a, 
a man by the name of Charles Simeon who lived just in the years following that time of, of Jonathan Edwards and lived in the time of, of Whitfield and Wesley and um, was a man who had an incredible impact on the church around the world, but largely throughout England. He was the pastor of, of Trinity Church in Cambridge, England for 49 years. 49 years serving in the same church. And he started that church, or started pastoring that church at the age of of 23. And they wanted another pastor. Many of the people wanted another pastor. And so those that had purchased pews, if you remember, in that time they purchased pews and they would lock their pews so that nobody could sit in their pews. And so for 12 years, people sat in the aisles stood in the aisles of that church for 12 years. And over those years, the Lord used him in just incredible ways. And following that, the Lord used him in incredible ways for his 49 years of serving in that church. But he had a life that was filled with difficulty. Single his entire life, but dealt with all kinds of sickness over a huge majority of of his years here on earth. He's the one that I I had read this where he had said to to a friend, as he wrote this, My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the prickling of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. When I go through a hedge, may we not mind our legs being prickled. A little prickling. In comparison to all of life, in comparison to all that takes place, he looked at the sufferings that he went through as just prickling on his legs. Well, the passage before us this morning had a radical impact on his life. This was a passage that he would have thought of as just his, his life verses. Like This is the passage that we're told that every time he preached on this section, it brought him so much joy. And he preached on it frequently. We're told that from one person that they had never heard a dry sermon come from Simeon's lips. The reason why was because he was one who was just absolutely in love with Christ. Let's read the passage before us and I'll tell you a little bit about what he had said about this passage. We come to a passage where, if you remember over the last few weeks, Paul in this, in this chapter of, of Ephesians chapter 3 begins the chapter by saying, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for, of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And he, he, he stops and does a, a, a large parenthesis there speaks on something that everybody needed to hear as far as the walls of separation being broken down, especially between Jews and Gentiles and the unity that is there within the body. But he comes back to the same idea of, of, of his prayer in verse 14. And so he comes right back, begins the chapter by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, and, and then again in verse 14. Now he carries on with a prayer that ought to have a radical impact on us. He says this, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This passage of scripture as I said, had an incredible impact on Simeon's life. To where we're told that for nearly 60 years, this passage of Scripture, he never got tired of quoting it. He said that as he spoke, it it would just cause him to see Christ with overwhelming and incomprehensible grandeur. He said, I am fully determined to begin at once a set of sermons on that grand subject in Ephesians. And he said this in the last couple of days of his life. I'm fully determined to begin at once a set of sermons on that grand subject in Ephesians that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. He says, I don't expect or desire to preach them, but if my life be spared, write them, I will. He didn't get to write all of them. Died a few days later, right before he had passed on the Thursday beforehand, one that was with him said his whole mind was absorbed upon his favorite passage, that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. His thoughts were fixed intently on this glorious theme. He declared that he thought that no higher honor could be conferred upon him than to be permitted to prepare for publication a set of discourses on that text. It is, he said, the grandest subject I can conceive of. I should think of life well spent in which one wrote four sermons on that passage in a manner worthy of it. I just wrote four sermons on this passage. The life was spent well, he said. The text dominated him. It permeated him. His entire personality became steeped and drenched and saturated with the spirit of it. Wilberforce, the one who had such a radical impact on freeing slaves, said about Charles Simeon as he was there, he says, Charles Simeon is staying with us. His heart glowing with the love of Christ. How full he is of that love. Oh, that I might copy him as he copies Christ. And so, the man that was with him said to him before he passed, Well, sir, you will soon comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. Simeon said, Ah, I shall soon understand that text now and then right before he passed this man Karis said the Lord bless thee and keep thee the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace and Simeon's last words were amen and he never spoke again this passage here had an incredible impact on him Thought about it for 60 years. Preached on it throughout the entirety of his ministry. Four sermons were preached on this text. He said a life was, was full. And so let's look at that this morning. Why would a guy like that think like that? Here's the prayer. For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
We begin here with him going before the Lord in prayer. This isn't a text to show us the posture in which we should pray. Although, over and over again in scriptures, you see that people approach God in prayer on their knees. Sometimes standing up. Various positions, but many times on their knees. But what it does show us is that we ought to approach the Lord with a posture of humility, of reverence, and adoration. If not physically, certainly in the way our hearts are before Him. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom, verse 15, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What a awesome picture of the church. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Jews and Gentiles, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who trust in Christ for salvation are a part of that same family of God. Whether they are already in heaven or whether they are still here on earth, we are part of the same family of God. And so we have a picture of that. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now you notice here that Paul goes before the Lord in prayer, praying specifically for the church. And he's calling upon the Lord to do a work that he would grant you, that he would accomplish this. And it's not based upon, because you guys deserve it, it's not based upon the fact that They've prayed so hard, or they've done so well, or they've met him halfway. It's that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That he would do this. According to the riches of his glory, this is riches that are without limit. The hope of our prayers being answered is according to the unending, bountiful, limitless riches of his glory. So God, do this. Accomplish this according to the riches of his glory. Now, let's stop here for a moment and just think of the way in which this prayer takes place. He's calling upon God to do a work, but he's doing this because, brothers and sisters, apart from him, we could do nothing. We as a church, and you as individuals, myself included, we could do nothing apart from him. We're so dependent upon him. It's absolutely vital that you understand that. You, you may say, I, I, I understand that. But whether you understand it in your head or whether you truly understand that in your heart, it, it can be reflected in, do you pray? Like, if, if you really see yourself as, apart from him, I can do nothing. If, if you really see yourself as dependent upon Christ to have any kind of fruit come out of your life. If you really see yourself as one who is prone to wander. As we sung just a few moments ago. Then you're going to be someone who bow your knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Frequently. Because you're going to know that apart from him, I can do nothing. I need him. And so whether you truly understand your dependency, you could do a quick test right now as far as how do you pray? What's your prayer life like? In which ways do you pray? Because if, if, if you see yourself as you are, you're, you're going to be on your knees calling upon God for the enabling in this Christian life. You can't do anything apart from him. So he prays. Notice also in the way that he prays. We frequently pray for people that they might be healthy, that they would be safe. Um, We pray for sicknesses. We pray that they would be taken care of 
and their provision. We pray for a number of different things for people. But I want us to take note of what he prays for when he prays for the church. Not that praying for those things is wrong. We need prayer for all those things, don't we? We call upon the elders for prayer. We pray for one another who are suffering, who are sick, who need prayer. We pray for provision. We pray for all of those things. But I just wanted to pause for a second and say, but that wasn't the most important thing to the apostle when he's coming for the Lord in prayer in this passage. So this passage shows us a little bit of how we ought to pray for one another. First, his prayer is that we, the church, would be strengthened through we strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. It's the first thing he prays. He's thinking of the church and says, I pray that you would be strengthened with might, strong, through his spirit in the inner man. When you think of of this, the inner man is who you really are. Like on the inside, who you really are. The outer man is who we are on the outside. The outer man is our health. The outer man is how much energy we have. Our outer man is a lot of different things as far as the way that we look and all of these things. His prayer is that God would do something on the inner man, the inner man, who you are on the inside, who we are on the inside, would be strengthened. If we're honest with each other, we need that, don't we? I mean, if we're going to pray for one another, if you're going to pray for me, if I'm going to be praying for you, if we're going to be praying for one another as a church, to be able to pray, like, God, strengthen this brother, strengthen this sister, with might through your Holy Spirit in the inner man. Give them strength that only you can provide in the inner man. A couple texts to think that go along with this are found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more, In my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That passage is important for us because you see effort that's being made by the believer. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then he quickly goes to, but it is God who works in you in me, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's working in us even to make us will, to give us the ability to do for his good pleasure, to live the Christian life. He is the one who strengthens us with his might through his Holy Spirit to cause fruit to come forth from our lives in the inner man. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. As we get older, there's no question as far as the outward man is perishing. I look at my little ones, and they fall in ways where it's like, oh, That was a bad one. And they get up, and they may cry for a second, but they get up and just keep going. If I fell like that, there would be no getting up anytime soon. Stuff just starts hurting, doesn't it? The older you get, the more stuff hurts. The outward man is perishing. But... The inward man, through the might of his Holy Spirit, is strengthened and it is being renewed day by day. 
The Holy Spirit does that work in our lives. And so the first part of the prayer is that we'd be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Pray for that for one another. The next portion is this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now we may look at that and say, well, of course Christ dwells in our hearts. But this dwelling that we're, we're talking about here in the Greek, it's, a, it's a, a word that makes reference to him aboding in our hearts, dwelling in our hearts, living there in our hearts, this presence that's there in our hearts, that Christ may settle down in your hearts, control us as a Lord of our lives. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He may dwell like that, the settling down in our hearts through faith. The third thing that he prays is this, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's his prayer. Believers, you were rooted and grounded in love. Tree, you picture a tree and its roots go out. And you are rooted in love. You are grounded. The foundation of this building, the foundation of that structure is one in which foundation is found in love. Our lives began, our Christian lives began with a God who loved us. Our lives began with a God who changed us and made us so that we love one another. We're rooted and grounded in love. But his prayer is that we would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height that you would comprehend the love of God. His prayer is that we would comprehend the love of God. Now, why does that matter? Why would this be something in which Charles Simeon looked at as far as like, oh, to only preach on that, to think on that, in the final days of my life, to just write on that, the love of Christ. That you comprehend the love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we understand the love of Christ, it will affect us in so many different ways. For one, think of if you understand the love of Christ in your personal life. If you comprehend the way that God loves you in your personal life, it will make you love him back with all that is within you. If you know how he loves you, if you're able to comprehend his love for you, you will adore him. It won't be hard to support a mission trip or to go on a mission trip. It won't be hard to tell others about him. It won't be hard to, to give of what God's entrusted you with. Stuff won't matter nearly as much when you know that you have a treasure and the fact that God loves you in the most incredible way. It will affect the way you worship. It won't be a matter of how much longer. Why do they do so many songs? It, it, it will be a, a, I just want to sing unto him. With all that is within me, I just want to sing to him, to praise him. But this is how he has loved me. It won't be hard to pray to him. 
My, my wife loves me. I love her. And as a result, we, we joyfully spend time together talking. But to know that God loves you like that, oh, you'll just want to spend time talking with him, spending time with him. If you understand the way that he loves you, you think of him upon the cross and dying for your sins, it will have such a purging effect of the sin in your life. Not wanting to go after the very things that he died on the cross for us for. Start to hate sin. You'll begin to love the things that he loves if you understand, if you comprehend the way that he loves you. In your marriages, in your family, if you understand the way that he loves you, oh man, it it will radically impact the way that you read a verse like, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. There won't be a, well, this is how my dad was, or this is how I grew up, or this is who you married. I mean, you knew what you were getting into, right? There will be a sense of, I, I, I don't want to be like that. I want to love my wife the way Christ has loved me. That's the calling. That's the model. That's what I've been given is love my wife like that. You see the way he loves his children. You see the patience that he has towards us, the grace that he shows towards us, the discipline that he gives us when it's necessary, the teaching that he does, both in marriage and with the kids, of washing your water with God's word, raising your children in the way of God's word. You're going to follow that example. If we understand the way Christ loves us, it'll affect us as a church. It'll affect the way that we love one another. There won't be a, like, I gave that guy plenty of times to change, and he hasn't. Or, that guy just bugs me. I don't have anything in common with him or her. I don't need any more friends. I've got plenty. What if God thought that way towards us? I got enough. I don't need him. Bugs me. I don't know how many times I've told him. Same thing. Does the same thing over and over again. When you see the grace and the way that he loves us, it, it makes us see others differently. I remember being at a church where when people left, the pastor would say, well, we just had another holy bowel movement. And I remember just thinking, like, how do you talk about those that have been redeemed, those who have been saved, those whom Christ loved like that? This is so wrong to think of believers like that. It'll make you forgive as he has forgiven you. It'll make you love in a way that's just different. Because it's modeled after the love of Christ. And it'll make us feel safe. God that loves us like that, even if you have not been loved by that, by others, parents, spouse, friends, even within the church, others, if you understand the way that God loves you, It'll bring you so much joy and make you feel so secure in him. It's no wonder that Paul prayed that we'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of the love of God. I jotted down some things that I think of when I think of the love of God, the way that he loves me. Um, you can just write on your paper. You can add. I, I, I know this list just goes f- far short of being exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. I just wanted to at least spark something in us as far as let's comprehend the way that he loves us. And may it filter down into the way that we love him and the way that we love others. Let's look at these right now. Christ loved us and chose us before the foundations of the world. Awesome. 
His love for you didn't start because he looked and said, you're awesome. Like, you have a lot to offer. He loved you before you ever created the world. That's the way that he loved you. Christ's love for us is eternal. And there will be no end to his love for us. It doesn't ever stop. Christ, he first loved us. It wasn't that we just loved him and he saw the way that we loved him. Some of you maybe have that in your relationships where someone pursued you for a long period of time and you finally gave in. <laughs> Kelly looked at his wife, Chris, as if that happened. We know that didn't happen. I see everything, okay? Like, especially if you're in the front row, don't say stuff like that. Nobody's wondering who loved who first. It, Chris threw out an amen. (laughs) And so you think of him loving us first. He was the initiator. Christ loved us when we were still dead in our sins and trespasses, Scripture teaches us. He loved you when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You know what is encouraging to me with that? One is that (laughs) if... If he loved me when I was still dead in my sins and trespasses, you think he's going to stop loving me as a believer who's been washed by the blood of Christ, who continues to sin? I mean, if, if he loved me before I was conformed to the image of Christ at all, does he stop loving us later on? Absolutely not. It also blesses me in that he didn't love me because I was lovable. He loved me when I was dead in my sins and trespasses, and you too. You see a picture of his love. You ever want to know how great his love is for you? Christ demonstrated the greatest love in laying down his life for us on the cross. I mean, if you want to know what that love looks like, well, how much does he love me? Just picture him. Stakes through his, his, his hands and through his feet. Crown of thorns upon his head. Back whipped to just being raw there on the cross. Face being beaten, beard plucked out, spit upon, mocked. Hanging there upon the cross. He laid down his life for us. Christ's love purchased us through our redemption paid by the precious blood of Christ. He redeemed you. He purchased you. Christ's drawing us to himself was through his loving call. When he drew you to salvation, it was his loving call that called out to you in which you heard him through the preaching of the word, through reading scripture, through grandma sharing the gospel with you, through neighbor sharing the gospel with you, for mom or dad sharing with you, through brother or sister, however it was that God saved you. It was a loving call that came from Christ. He forgives us. He shows his love in that he forgives us of every sin, past, present, and future. Oh, that we would do that for one another. What a love that he has for us, every sin. He forgives us of all sin, regardless of how wicked those sins might be. There's nothing in which it's, well, that's just too much. I mean, he's forgiven of a lot, but that's a big one. He forgives us of all of our sins, every one of them. He loves us unconditionally. It's not based on our deserving of it. He loves us with the purest form of love possible. Christ lovingly serves us and ministers to our every need. Washes feet. He washes feet. He cares for us. He loves us. He serves us. He continually just cares for us like that. He delights in doing good to us. There's joy for him in doing good to us. Rejoices over you with singing. He delights in doing good to you. He even takes those things that are the hardest trials and tribulations that we go through and he says, 
that he assures us that he worked even all those things together for good for us. That's the way he loves us. He washes us with the water of the word. It has an impact on us, changes us, makes us so we see ourselves and just conforms us into his image. He didn't leave us as orphans, but he sent us the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Christ's love adopted us into his family and made us joint heirs with him. Joint heirs with Christ. He's always faithful to us. Always faithful. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. Neither height nor depth. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. We could call upon Christ at any time. He's always there for us through prayer. Christ's word is absolute and perfect truth, and he's given that to us. We know truth. Christ will finish the work he began in us. He tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's, that's love. That's the way he loves us. Abounding grace. He's given us a local church and gifted each member to build up and encourage the other members. Sovereignly did that. Because he loves us. You look around, you see the people who are around you. They are around you because he loves you. He's gifted them to minister to you and to me. I'm thankful for the way he's done that. It's an act of love in which he's given us the church. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Christ, he loves us in such a way that he's made a way for us to see him in his glory for all eternity, and we will see his face. That's just scratching the surface of, this is the way in which he loves you. He loves you, and he loves me like that. It's the most perfect kind of love that you could ever hope for. It doesn't get better than that. There's no one that can love you in a way that's better than that. That's how God loves you. If we take time to think on each one of those things and then think of even all the ones that are left out, how do we not love him back? How do we not worship him, pray to him, give to him, serve him, tell others about him, read his word, just wanting to spend time with him, ministering one to another with him? That's why Paul is praying this. God, make it so that they would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ. Then he prays that we might know the love of God even when it passes knowledge. Experientially, Christians We'll never be able to fully know infinite love. It's incomprehensible. And yet, don't we experience an incredible taste of it? It's awesome to think of looking at the way that he loves us. And I, Lord willing, just going through that list, you feel loved. I hope you do. I do. But then coming to a place of knowing all of that and then knowing, but I still, it's incomprehensible. I mean, I've just scratched the surface. It's way bigger than that. The way that he loves me is way bigger than even what my greatest thoughts are of the way that he loves me. It's incomprehensible. And yet, I'm able to comprehend it, he says, at least to some degree. But the vastness of it is incomprehensible. But he enables us to understand a bit of it. Samuel Rutherford wrote from prison in Aberdeen this, Love, love, I mean Christ's love, is the hottest coal that ever I felt. Oh, but the smoke of it be hot. Cast all the salt sea on it. It will flame. Hell cannot, cannot quench it. Many, many waters will not quench love. <laughs> From prison. This is the way God loves me. You can just take all the oceans and throw it on that flame and it, it will not go out. That's the way that he loves me. From prison. To know the love of Christ for us. It passes knowledge. And yet, we're able to experience it nonetheless. 
His last part of the prayer is this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays that for you, for me, for the church there. Oh, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. We see in Scripture that it tells us that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are full or complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the fruit that comes out of having the fullness of God in us. Fullness of God makes it so that we can be filled with His wisdom and knowledge. The fullness of God is such that we're able to discern. We're not like children tossed to and fro by every wind and and doctrine. The fullness of Christ makes it so that we can discern. Fullness of Christ is such that we can imitate the way that he has loved us. Ephesians 5. The fullness of Christ fullness of God in us means that we receive the power of God through the Holy Spirit to do things that we would be unable to do on our own. He gives us the ability to be gracious, to be merciful, forgiving even as Christ is to us in all those areas. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can we pray that for one another? Oh, that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. What if that happened at our church? What's going to happen is you're going to have eyes to see people who are hurting and you're going to love them the way Christ loves us. You're going to have a heart that loves people like that. You're going to have a heart that wants to visit people in prison. You're going to have a heart that wants to go and and minister to the widow. You're going to have a heart that wants to go and minister to the orphan. You're going to have a heart that wants to dive in and invest yourself into people's lives because you care about them. You're going to have a heart that wants to give to people who are in need. You're going to have a heart that wants to counsel people that need counsel. Encourage them through the word. Give them wisdom that only God can give. When Christ and his fullness is in us, we become his hands and his mouth and his feet. And he just bleeds out of us to where those that are in our midst are able to see Christ in us. Not us, but Christ in us. May the fullness of God be such that we are filled with that. The way we worship. The way we love. I pray that it's God working out of us. That there's just this overflowing of Christ in us. No wonder the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 17, verse 15, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I just want to be like you. I want the fullness of God in me. Can we pray like that? What will God do at Reverence Bible Church if we are genuinely praying and God answers our prayer that we would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with might. That Christ would dwell in each one of our hearts through faith where there's just, he is our Lord and he has settled down in our hearts. What will happen if we pray that all of us would comprehend what is the, the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God? What will happen if we experience that and know it, even though it's incomprehensible, we still know it to where the fullness of God is what we are filled with. What an awesome prayer for the saints. And a prayer for us. Pray for that for me, please. Pray for that for those that are around you. Pray for that for our kids. Pray that God would do this work that Christ would just shine so brightly through us and we would think biblically and we would have the peace of God that only he could give and we'd love the way that he loves. We'd worship 
as those that have seen a God who loves us. That we'd feel safe with him. That we would love doctrine. That we'd love his word. That we'd love just basking in it. That we'd long to be with him for all eternity. Pray for that for our church. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, oh, you're not here by chance. You're here because there is a God who loves you like that. He takes you to a place where you're able to sit there and say, this is how Christ loves me. This is what he's done for me. Oh, I've never experienced love like that. And maybe today be the day of salvation for you. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He assures you that you'll have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that doesn't fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you because you are purchased, redeemed, washed by the blood of Christ. That is what he has done for us, and that is why we have joy when we worship. We know the love of God. May we comprehend it more. And I pray that it just have an awesome impact on you personally, on your families, and on our church. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us that we could have confidence that if we ask anything according to your will, that you hear us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do this in our church. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us with your might through your spirit in the inner man, that you would dwell in our hearts through faith, that you would make us so that we could comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the height and the depth and the length to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Help us to comprehend your love. Help us to comprehend that which is even incomprehensible. Help us to know that. Help us to be like Samuel Rutherford where we just look and say, The love of Christ, the love of Christ, the entire ocean could not quench it. May we be filled with the fullness of God, and may you just work mightily through each and every one of our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would do such a work that as we even worship right now, Lord, help it to come from hearts that know the way that you love us. May we love you back, Lord, because you first loved us. Thank you that it is you who does this work in our hearts, you who cause our eyes to be opened, you who soften our hearts, you who make us have joy as we sing praises unto you, Lord. It's you who does that, Lord, and we pray that you would do that now. And may we continue to pray for one another in such a way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.